Getting capability to the fleet quickly and affordably is more important than ever in today's geopolitical environment. And that often requires us to think differently and change the way we do business to move fast. For PMA 265, the FA-18 and EA-18G program office, it started with a challenge to award sole source contracts in just 90 days. Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm Michael Lauren Pru, and joining me today to tell us more about the 90-day contracting challenge is Spencer Crispell, PMA 265 Principal Deputy Program Manager. Also joining us today is Ryan Mullins, Procurement Group Division Head, and Amy Arena, a Level 2 Integrated Product Team Lead and lead of a recent 90-day contracting challenge. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. So let's start with what is a 90-day contracting challenge? Spencer, where did this idea originate and what was the goal? So I think I was the first one of the three of us to hear the challenge given to us by Rear Admiral Gahagan when he was PEOT back in August of 2021. And I think that the 90-day challenge was what I would consider sometimes it's referred to as a BHAG, which is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It was really to try to push us towards new behaviors, to think differently, to look at the problem differently, to collaborate more. I think he realized at the time that 90 days was a very steep challenge, but he knew that by making it not a 10% reduction, but a huge reduction in what typically is an 18-month to a two-year process sometimes and challenge us to do it in only 90 days, he knew that that would change behaviors and force us to have to work closely together with industry, with contracts, with legal, with the IPT, and with every part of our organization to collaborate and and change behaviors. Part of it was a a forcing function. Everybody said for years that they would like the procurement process to go faster when it comes to awarding contracts. But just saying that doesn't really necessarily equal, you know, improvement. So by doing the 90-day contracting challenge, it kind of put out there a big goal for us to work with and to kind of use that as the forcing function for everybody to think of, okay, how can you go faster, create that sense of urgency for our peer environment that we're in, China, Russia, everybody's very quickly catching up to us in capabilities. And with these timelines, if we can shorten the contracting process, you can easily shorten the timeline on what it takes to get items to the fleet and put us in a better position to, to win the fight in the future. For my team side of the house, though, where did it originate? I can remember the exact week it originated. It was the last week of July, and our team was currently working a contracting effort, or at least we were getting ready to gear up for this contracting effort. Our initial procurement timeline was 18 months for the contract that we ended up awarding in 123 days. So this 90-day challenge significantly reduced our contracting timeline. So it really helped press that go urgency, how can you do this smarter, better, faster, challenge the norm, and try to get something awarded as quickly as we can. And we ended up doing it in 123 days. And I would add that, uh, first of all, Amy's you know requirement, that, that was really important because it was kind of groundbreaking. It showed that it could be done, right? And and just the fact that it came in on 123 days, vice 90 days, doesn't mean it was a failure by any means. It still drastically reduced the timeline that was involved. I know since then, within our department supporting PEOT, there have been other 90-day contracting challenges that have been successfully executed. And one of the other things that was important as well that you know, PEOT and program manager was trying to impart was, hey, this isn't a 
everybody's working 80 hour weeks, you know, for the next 90 days to get this done. This needs to be done in your normal course of work, right? Because obviously if everybody's working lots of overtime, they're just going to burn out and no one's ever going to want to do it again. It was to show, hey, what can we do in terms of changing processes, changing mindsets that will allow us to bring this timeline in and shrink it and and still do it within a, the course of a normal workday and get it done. So Amy, what enabled you to speed up this process and really move fast? So the beauty of the challenge is we had a small empowered team. We identified no single point of failure across our team. So for every PM, there was another PM who was identified. So if somebody had to be out of the office, that team didn't just stop because someone was out sick or someone was on vacation. By giving us that empowerment and letting us know where our boundaries were, it really enabled us to make decisions at our working level of, hey, can we change the schedule here? How can we challenge a timeline there? Or how can we keep the work going without the standard process of doing business? We didn't forbid email, but email wasn't encouraged to be the the sole means to communicate with one another. In fact, we really did a lot of face-to-face during the 90-day challenges. That way, it, it wasn't just you send an email and you wait five days for a response. It was you have a conversation, both parties are empowered to make a decision, and you move on and you make the decision. And that's, that was, I think, one of the things that we enabled the team. We empowered the team. We allowed them to make decisions on their own. And I think the industry did the same thing on their side. And I would also add that our industry partners sent us notes during the 90-day the challenge saying, they, they basically, we really like how this is going. We like this way of doing business. We'd like to do this more frequently. So I think it was uh, not just something that Admiral Gahagan challenged us with, but he challenged industry with this and told industry, hey, this is what we want to do to go faster because we all understand that we there's got to be a sense of urgency here. So Ryan, earlier you mentioned that in addition to Amy and her team, several teams across PEOT have tackled a 90-day contracting challenge. What would you say are some of the key enablers to their success? Well, Michael, I think there's uh, several. Some of the ones that most important is you need to have a clear, defined strategy. Your requirement needs to be lying flat because if you, if you start marching out and then all of a sudden you're changing quantities, you're trying to add scope, move scope around, That's it's just going to create chaos. It, it's going to have you kind of have to stop, start over. Making sure you have your strategy completely well-defined is paramount. Another thing would be uh, good communication and collaboration. I know with Amy's effort, they had many, many meetings where they had face-to-face, including bringing in not just the prime, but also the major sub that was involved. Everybody was able to give their input to help tweak things as needed and then uh, produce a better outcome. It also allowed the subcontractor to know what was coming so they could actually go and start working on their proposal ahead of time versus just waiting until they get it from the prime, which could be weeks down the road. Those face-to-face meetings were key, not just with the early defining of the requirement, but also later on when it came to negotiation. Part of that is also having empowered teams, which I know uh, we mentioned earlier, but reminding the the PCO and the specialists that they're empowered to make the, the decisions for the deals up to their threshold in terms of business clearance approvals, but also making sure that the contractor teams have people who are empowered to make those changes because we don't want to sit there and be in negotiations and then have them tell us, well, okay, I see that, but I need to go make some phone calls and talk to some other people to see if we can move and come down because they've reached whatever their floor is that they had previously established. We need to have everybody 
in the room together that has the ability to make decisions and bind both parties, the government and the contractor. I absolutely agree with all of those key enablers. I will say, I think for our team, one of the greatest keys to our success was that communication and collaboration. And we started that right away on day one. As soon as we were notified about the challenge, we started pulling in the government team and we rapidly realized that we would need industry in the room too. And it was an amazing opportunity to build that team. It wasn't government versus industry. It was all of us working together to meet this goal of awarding a contract in 90 days. That clear defined strategy was also key. We set our schedule and we would do instead of 30, 60, 90 weekly updates, we would do a 7, 14, 21 day outlook. And we would provide that communication, not just amongst our working and power team, but that went to the leads of the program office, the leads of industry, the in-between leads, all of the worker bees. Everybody was hearing where we were standing from a strategy standpoint and an execution standpoint on a regular basis. So there wasn't the repeating of information, the game of telephone where a message might get lost in translation. That clear defined everyone receiving the message and knowing the strategy moving out made sure that we were all headed in the right direction at the same time. The other piece that we had was a 24-hour contact leadership or ask for help if you can't solve a problem. And we did pull that lever a few times. If we had a stalemate with any particular issue, if we couldn't find a resolution at our working level, Captain Denny had requested that we notify him so he could help us solve that problem. Sometimes it might be with an industry leadership team. Sometimes it might be within another office within the government. But he wanted to help us reach and identify those roadblocks so from a repeatability standpoint, we were identifying the choke points where we might run into issues in the future and how do we make that process better so the next person who does a 90-day challenge won't run into the same issue. But mostly I think the communication, the relationship building, establishing trust with industry, breaking down those walls and barriers and forming a strong unified team all working towards one common goal really helped us achieve success. And it was a win. I think we were all walking away feeling great about what we accomplished. And speaking of that process improvement, Spencer, what does it mean to you to get real, get better? That's a great question that we talk about regularly in PMA 265. We have guiding principles that we use at our HUD meetings whenever we meet in our uh, heads-up displays on our different platforms. And we talk about collaboration being key and understanding that we need to embrace the red to ensure that that's how we think and we act and behave in, in, in all of the things that we do. Understanding that it's okay to, to be the person with the red and it's okay for you to admit that there's something that you need help with. That's part of getting real and getting better. We always are recognizing the fact that it's not an us against you, it's not an us against them. It's uh, we're all in this together, and, and that's part of getting real and getting better. And really, it's got to do with, you know, what are we doing here? Why do we do what we do? It's about the fleet and delivering capability, and we award contracts so that we can deliver capability. And at the end of the day, that's the most important part. We have to start with the fleet. We have to think about the end goal. It's not about the 90-day contract award. It's about delivering a capability or a, a piece of gear or what have you to the fleet. I'll just add that in terms of get real, get better, right? I mean, a lot of it, like Spencer was saying, you know, embracing the red is finding if, if you have an issue, you got to raise your hand, ask for help. Don't feel like you're going to be looked at adversely because you're asking for help. 
with whatever it is that you need, whether it's needing more more manpower to help you with something, whether it's just a, a timeline crunch and you've got multiple priorities and it's like, well, we're trying to get negotiations tomorrow on this, but I've also got two other things to review. Just make sure that you reach out and, and let folks know. And that way we can work as a group and solve those problems. From a NAVAIR perspective, I think this challenge was an excellent example of the concept of get real, get better. What we did is we took the get real, that self-assessment and building a team to try to not accept the status quo. Because to Spencer's point, the status quo at that point was it's okay to take a year to get on contract to deliver a capability to the fleet. I don't think anyone at NAVAIR is okay with it taking that long for an effort to get on contract to field something to our warfighters. So this was also an excellent opportunity to get better, and we proved that we could. And now we can apply those lessons learned across not just PMA 265, but we've had the opportunity to share our lessons learned with other program offices so we can get better across NAVAIR as an organization to get capability into the warfighters' hands. I think it was also a fun opportunity, especially at the worker bee level. There are many times where the Navy puts out initiatives like get real, get better. And you always want to try to embrace that and you want to try to improve upon that. And it was a wonderful opportunity to empower people at all levels of the Navy to make a change and to make an impact. And we were able to do so. And I think that's incredibly rewarding to be able to do that for the warfighter. So transparency often plays a valuable role in our effort to get real, get better. How did the 90-day contracting challenge really help you to embrace or acknowledge the red? Amy, what did you learn through this process? So I'm smiling a little bit at that question because when you say transparency, there are certainly conversations that we had with our industry counterparts that you don't normally have in a contracting conversation. We shared the good and the bads and the uglies across the teams. We shared concerns that we had that we were taking with our leadership to show to industry, hey, we agree with you and we have our hesitations as well. And then the pushback of, no, you guys still need to challenge your way of thinking or let's try it another way kind of built that team unity too because we were all having to find a way to change our mindset to tackle this challenge. But having the honest conversations, showing the problem sets with industry of, hey, we think we might run into an issue here or this might be a roadblock and explaining the why behind the way we typically do business and industry doing the same, breaking down those barriers, breaking down those processes that usually take a long time because we have to work through various levels or chains of command or processes and outlining that and then finding ways to, okay, how do we condense this or streamline this? I think that encouraged us to think differently and that enabled us to move more quickly because we were understanding the why behind our process. And industry could understand it as well. In the vein of transparency, one of the things that helps, I think in PMA 265, and we've expanded this a little bit outside of our PMA and to other PMAs within PEOT is to understand the threat. I've been in, in PMA 265 a little more than a year. One of the things that we've started in PMA 265 is a regular threat brief that we give to people in our PMA to help people understand the reason why we need to have a sense of urgency. We all read the newspapers. We all hear what we hear in the news. I think it helps to hear it from the Intel folks. It helps us to understand why it's so important for us to 
do things like 90 day challenge and to change our behavior and to have that sense of urgency. So throughout today's podcast, we've talked a lot about communication, collaboration, and the value of relationships with teammates and with industry. Ryan, why are strong partnerships so important? Well, I think they're important because you have to know that you're in this together, right? Everybody's got the same goal. Uh, a lot of times there's an us versus them when you're looking from a from a government to contractor standpoint. You need to make sure that you can trust each other when you're going through and, and building the requirements all the way through when you're negotiating things. And I think the, the more that trust builds between the teams, the easier it is to get deals finished because you know you can have those frank conversations. And in the end, it gives you that kind of trust factor to kind of come in and get things done quickly. I would agree with that. For us, we would not have been able to complete this challenge without the help of industry. They had to be willing to come to the table just as much as we are and try to align to a common goal of awarding a contract as quickly as possible. Without their help and without their creative thinking and their support from their teams, we would still be stuck in the standard contract award timelines that we usually have. The daily communications that we had, the common coordination, the ability to get together and have those meetings be so successful. We were able to get the most work out of all of the opportunities we had in meeting this challenge. Without trust, without transparency, without regular communication, then it's easy to lose sight of what the goal is. And it's easy to just let things fall by the wayside and back into the status quo patterns. But when you're all aligned as a team, you're all working to reach that goal at the end. So, Amy, as you and your team navigated the 90-day contracting challenge, what were some of your biggest lessons learned? How have you shared that learning? I think for us, the biggest lesson learned was the change in mindset of challenging the status quo, looking at contracting timelines, looking at how to execute a contract, looking at ways to get our work done, but not let it just take the normal process timeline of getting the work done. We've taken the 90-day challenge lessons learned of, okay, we did award a contract in 90 days. How do we apply this to other future contracting efforts? But due to the relationships that were built during our 90-day challenge, now that we are executing the contract, we're seeing success in collaboration, communication, moving forward, and having a successful relationship with our industry team as we now deliver this capability due to the relationship that was fostered during our 90-day challenge. So it's not just a lesson in 90-day contracts and everybody should do 90-day contracts. This mindset has changed our relationship with how we do business with industry and maintaining that communication, trust, transparency across program execution as well. So I would add, you know, we've had a lot of lessons learned throughout the process and we've been sharing those within the, the PMA and within the procurement group on things that have gone right. And also we've had several things that have gone wrong. So we've learned on both sides. Some of the things we, uh, we've already touched on in terms of face-to-face meetings, making sure teams are empowered, trying to do things in one day versus stringing them out over several weeks. You know, Even the negotiation, not using the standard email, but make sure you're calling. Don't wait two, three, four days. Send an email in the morning and you haven't heard back by the afternoon, then pick up the phone and, hey, you know, what's the status on this? One of the things I know specifically that that we're starting to work on is, uh, you know, before we used to kind of have our statement of work at like an 80% solution, if you will, and then we kind of start collaborating with the contractor on these sole source deals. Now we're bringing them in much earlier to, to try and better craft the statement of work and make sure everybody understands what they're doing, answer questions up front, be able to react to those questions rather than kind of bringing them in 
later in the process. So that way it'll lead to a more streamlined process once we finish negotiations and actually getting through to award and we don't have these last minute hiccups that we're trying to, to work through. To kind of jump in on that as well, specifically to the bringing industry in right away, one of the unique things that we were able to do in our challenge was we also brought the sub in right away. So speaking to Ryan's point of collaborating early, we also learned to be flexible with our schedule timeline. We were still striving for that 90 days and, you know, we would accept a schedule slip if there was a valid reason and documented reason why. But one of the things we were flexible with up front was the release of our request for proposal. Usually we'll go ahead and pull industry in at 80%, but since they were able to collaborate with us and we were working to ensure the requirements were so well understood by industry, we released our RFP and we had a response back from industry within 24 hours. That's something that doesn't normally happen. The other piece of that that doesn't normally happen was that was the sub. Typically, we'll release our, our, our request for proposal, and we have to wait for the prime to then send the request to proposal to the sub, which then adds even more time. So the fact that we were able to have a response from the subcontractor within 24 hours was incredibly impressive and speaks well to the relationship building, the communication, and the collaboration that we were able to do in this challenge. Spencer, how do you incentivize teams to really dive into this process and adopt this new way of doing business? So how do we incentivize? I mean, we encourage people that it's okay to, to be the person with, you know, the red. It's okay to embrace those brutal facts and, and admit when you don't have the answers. It's okay to, to be that person. We're a, a learning organization that's built on trust in PMA 265, and, and it's okay for us to make mistakes. We recognize that we're all in this together, not just PMA 265 and not just the government, not just the NOC, but our industry partners as well. At the end of the day, we need everybody to be rowing the boat in the same direction on cue so that we get the most out of each stroke, get capability delivered to the fleet. And I think everybody in PMA 265 understands that. I agree with that as well. The capability that we were able to provide on this contract is a game-changing capability for naval aviation. So to have the opportunity to get that awarded so we can start delivering that capability even more rapidly to the warfighter is a huge success. And at the end of the day, that is what really incentivizes the team, knowing that we're doing something for the warfighter. I think the other incentivization was there was no give on the schedule. <laughs> it was, hey, can we maybe get a little bit of wiggle room here? And when the answer was continuously no, find a way to do this better, then that kind of gives you a little bit of motivation too from the working level. One of the things I would add to incentivizing, it, this has nothing to do with the 90 day, but it has to do with the people that I come in contact with every day. The people in PMA 265 that support the program, they understand the connection to the fleet and they understand the connection to the mission. And, and I think that's a really, really big part of if we all need to understand the mission of naval aviation and what we're all about within NAVAIR. So let's talk a bit more about the people and the culture of PMA 265. What are some of the observed behaviors that you would say really contributed to your team's success? I would say the most important observed behavior that contributed to our success was the collaboration and the trust that was built. We were really able to openly communicate with each other, whether it was communicating to our leadership, communicating to our industry partners, communicating across the team. And that level of communication and trust that was built is truthfully what led us to our team's success. The other piece that I think was 
key to our success was thinking outside of the box. We had to look for ways that we could challenge the normal timelines, and we had to have the conversations of what a realistic timeline was. How long would it really take to do the effort if we focused on knocking it out right away? I think if we weren't willing to challenge the norms, then again, this challenge wouldn't have been successful because we would have just been accepting status quo. So it's a unique opportunity to provide creativity, ways of challenging standard procedures, and coming up with new ways of getting business done. That leads to some pretty cool opportunities. The 90-day challenge wasn't just a single thing that just happened once. We've repeated this several different times since then through the course of the last year plus now. And it's because of the behaviors changes that were encouraged by that initial BHAG that Admiral Gahagan challenged us with. That continues today with Admiral Lemon, and it continues with Captain Denny. And Captain Denny is more than willing and happily able to help to remove barriers where he's able to. And Admiral Lemon is the same way. He's happy to try to remove barriers for the RPMA and other PMAs in his PEO. Now that you've had success with these initial contracting challenges, how has that changed the way you will look at contracting challenges in the future? I mean, really, the fact that we got a contract awarded in 123 days gives you confidence. I'll also tell you that there were other things that we have not been had as much success on, but we've learned things from it. And that's okay. It's okay to not achieve the 90-day challenge. It's okay to go long in the time. But it's important that we work together, that we recognize those lessons learned that we gain, and that everybody understands that what we're trying to do is deliver capability to the fleet. I think there's a little bit of competitiveness in all of us. Once you do it once, you want to beat your time. So I think for some of us who have done it once, it's like, well, how can we repeat this and can we do it better? There's that sense of urgency and repeatability and always wanting to always outperform a little bit when you can. So I think that also creates the desire to do it again and to do it better and to do it the best because it's naval aviation. We want to be the best. And finally, as we wrap today's podcast, why do we need to act with a sense of urgency in everything that we do? If you look at current events, it's very clear that our adversaries are always challenging the world that we live in. And we want to make sure that if the call ever comes, that our naval aviation community is equipped with the best capabilities that we can give them. We don't want to be the roadblock that is holding someone up. So anything that we can do, whether it's contractually or working on software release timelines or finding new ways to get a better processor into an airplane or whatever the case may be, we want to do what we can to support the warfighter. So if the world events should rapidly change, we have given them everything we could to the best of our ability. Yeah. And I, and I would add that, you know, if, if you look at something again, if we were originally thinking this was going to be 18 months to make a contract award, and let's say we're buying some some retrofit kits, the lead time's a year on that, right? So you're already at two and a half years, and then you still got to put a contract in place to actually install the kits once they come in. So you could be talking three, three and a half year timeline, but you could potentially cut a year, year and a half off by shortening the timeline that it takes you to make these awards. And then the fleet is getting what they need a year, year and a half sooner. That's the really the main goal to kind of look at, you know, when we're trying to deal with what's going on in current events today, being able to get something to the fleet as quick as possible is really what we need to do. The sense of urgency, I think, is really tied to the environment that we are in today in the world, current events, the threat, 
there's just constant changes throughout the world that no one could have predicted two, three years ago, let alone what's going to happen in five years from now. I think it's important that we be ready as a Navy and that the F-18 will be a part of that until the 2040s as a part of the carrier air wing. The F-18 will continue to be a big part of that ability of the United States Navy to do its mission. So we understand, I think, as a group of people supporting the warfighter, why it's so important that we act with a sense of urgency. Absolutely. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today to talk about how PMA 265 learned to think differently, challenge the status quo, and change the game to deliver the warfighting capability the fleet needs to win today, tonight, and in the future. Of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, you can check out other episodes by subscribing to the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.